two, three. Welcome to. <laughs> no, we gotta do it at the same time, so we're just gonna say recording. Welcome, Welcome to, to a Florida, Florida thing. I am your host, Tyler, with my grandmother, Grammel. In today's podcast, we are gonna get wordy. We are gonna get wordy. Oh, didn't even know this program could do that. Anyway, in the first segment, we are going to be chatting with Wordier Than Thou's founder, Tiffany Rosano. Wordier Than Thou is a nonprofit dedicated to supporting writers and readers in the Tampa Bay area and throughout the state of Florida. We will talk to Tiffany about literary haunted houses supporting local writers, and getting over a fear of public speaking. In the second segment, we will be talking to a recent wordier reader, Yuki Jackson. Yuki is a poet and also the founder of The Battleground, which mixes poetry and martial arts for youth. I'm looking forward to it. We are going to be talking to her about poetry, Buddhism, drag queens. Of course. I mean, why not? Always. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> on my birthday, I went to see some drag queens. I remember the, the Boom Boom Room or something? Oh, the Chicka Boom Room. Yeah. I forgot that was your birthday. Yeah. It was your mother's. His mom was born on my birthday, so we both went. <laughs> so we'll be talking about that. Well, not about going to the Chicka Boom Room. <laughs> this is a really, really good episode. It's so great that she's working with young people, and she's to, she's to be admired. In the first segment, we are going to talk to Wordier Than Thou founder Tiffany Rosano about developing a literary community, her experiences as a working writer, and what's next for this nonprofit. Get into it. I'm a, so I don't know if you knew this, I'm like a native New Yorker. I'm from Long Island. You know, I spent most of my life there. I was living in Riverhead and I was working at a newspaper in the Hamptons. I worked for, uh, it was called Dan's Papers out there. And it was, um, it was kind of cool. It was one of those like very quirky Hamptons kind of institutions sort of things. And it was founded by, by Dan on his, uh, you know, kitchen table when he was like 18, 19, 20, 21 years old, something like that, about 50 or so years ago at that point. So, you know, everybody knew Dan and everybody knew that, um, you know, knew that publication. And I just remember one time we were, um, we had a, an editorial meeting in our building. Dan's talking about whatever Dan's talking about. And then we get a, a phone call, our, you know, assistant at the time answering the phones. She was like, Dan, Alec Baldwin's on the phone for you. And he just sort of like very annoyed, leaned back, arm behind his, arms behind his head, like, tell him I'll call him back. <laughs> Comes back two minutes later and she's like, he wants to know if you have his phone number. And he's like, oh, fine, I'll take the call. And he just goes and like takes his phone call from Alec Baldwin who wanted uh, a, extra copies of the paper because his daughter was in her school play and we had pictures of it in there somewhere. And I couldn't even afford to live in the community that I was covering. I actually, I lived in like um, a trailer park on the outskirts of the Hamptons with like mostly like Eastern Europeans living in it. It was a very interesting kind of place to be living, but I was always like, where am I living and who am I covering? And I moved here to Tampa Bay area about 10 years ago. My parents came here first. So my dad is in Spring Hill and my mom is in, I want to say like Newport Ritchie, Port Ritchie. I I always mix them up. So when I first moved here, I I was living in Spring Hill and it it was awful. When I first moved down here, I didn't really have anything going on. And I was kind of doing that thing like, oh, I guess maybe I'll be here for a little bit and then I'll leave. And I I honestly thought I'd go to somewhere, you know, I'd go to like Asheville or something. So I I worked at a few different places. It took me about two years to get to the newspaper. Um, Just there weren't a lot of newspaper jobs. So I I wrote for Creative Loafing for a little bit just to kind of keep active in journalism. And I was their LGBT blog editor for a little bit. I worked for HSN as a copywriter for a couple of years. I worked for the Nielsen company for a little bit too, overnight. They were their company that they sent that like box into your home to like record what you were watching. Done weird things in Florida, but I think everybody has. So <laughs> I think so, that's really interesting because I mean, cobbling together work as a writer in this area, it's a difficult path for a lot of us. And at that point, I also didn't know anybody. I didn't have, I don't know. I was just like, I'll take what I can get. I'm just here doing what I'm doing, trying to make it work. So there was a brief period of time where I worked 
for Nielsen overnight, and then I worked for HSN part-time as a copywriter, product descriptions and stuff like that, and all the content that the show hosts would use on the air and all the web descriptions and stuff like that. And I started out writing like jewelry of all freaking things. (laughs) Seriously, I really don't understand how I got that job. And, uh, you know, I would work overnight at Nielsen. I'd get out at four or five and then I'd go like sleep in a parking lot and then I'd go work part time at HSN a few days a week. Eventually, a friend of mine, their newspaper was hiring and I started out part time editing their Pinellas Park paper. And then eventually I I took over the Seminole, Seminole Beacon. So, and I was there for for about eight years. And then, so where did you find time to start with Wordier than thou? I'm not very good at, you know, downtime, I think, is is what that is. And I'm a very bad public speaker. I hate it. I mean, you've seen me. I I don't think you're a bad public speaker. I was, I mean, Wordier now, we started it in 2012. So that was eight years, that was eight years ago. I used to like, cry i used to just delay 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 and then we'd get started like hours late and people would be like what are you doing or i'd get just very drunk um Mm -hmm. i really like part and part of the reason why i started it was because i was so bad at public speaking that i wanted to get a little bit better at that especially being maybe invited to speak in front of different i think had been invited to talk to like a kiwanis group or rotary club or something like that and or and even like a, a children's classrooms a couple of times and those were fairly torturous for me even how low stakes those are it was like agony and like anxiety like forever leading up to it um so I'm like all right well let me do this thing that maybe helps me get a little bit it was just very selfish you know sometimes things start from a very selfish space mm-hmm. I think yeah. so what kind of events were you first starting to do with Wordier back in 2012 um, we were just an open mic series at that point. Um, I think we started out every other every other month and uh, pretty quickly went to a monthly format. You know, there were a lot of open mics going on around here at that point, but nothing that was really the for- a format that fit like prose, stories, storytelling. You know, there was a lot of open mic, comedy open mics, a lot of poetry, slam poetry open mics, a lot of comedy uh, uh, music, but there really wasn't anything for longer narratives and so we kind of were a little a little different in that form and then eventually we were we were hosting open mics in other cities around the state too because again I didn't know a ton of people here even though I mean I did but I didn't so I had no problem just like taking off in the middle of the week and going to drive up to Orlando to host an open mic once a month so we were we were hosting regular events in Sarasota, Orlando, and St. Pete for a while, Tampa for a little bit too, posted stuff up in Gainesville, we've gone down to Miami and done stuff before, so now we do most of our stuff in St. Pete, but mm-hmm. we'll, we'll go wherever people feel like, feel like. That's cool, it was like a statewide kind of initiative at one point. Yeah, a little bit, um, and it was, it was fun, you know, I didn't know much about the state at that point, so it was a good way for me to just go wander around and explore a little bit too. And so now what are some of the events? Because I know you'll have a, a big schedule. What are, and you have a conference and stuff like that. So you can, can you update us on what you have been doing more recently? And obviously a lot of this has changed just because of, of the pandemic, but non-pandemic times, like we, uh, Tampa Bay Publishing Conference, that's kind of on the, the, the business side of things. You know, I think people know their craft or they know where to find help for that already. But I think what I've found is that a lot of writers aren't that great at you know, promoting themselves, taking those steps to find an editor or a publisher or, you know, anything like that. So I think, I think that's an area that more information is useful to them. So we kind of try to focus that whole event around that business side of, of books. Every fall we do, it's our Read No More Haunted House. We rent out a house in Gulfport. It's our murder house. And it, we stage a short play in each room of the home. So you're touring like a series of short plays. This is, we just had our fifth year of that one, and we launched a Haunted Christmas one as well. That sounds um, cool. Yeah, it's, pro- it's one of my favorite events. It's grown into one of our most popular, I guess, events. And that's the thing. We try to do things that uh, get people out supporting writers in ways that they maybe don't even stop to think. that they're. I know that's terrible, but it's kind of like sneaking vegetables into like tomato sauce is how I liken it sometimes. For the Haunted House, we, we give a stipend to each room. To each author they write their own play they cast their own play and then we on top of um the stipend we give a portion of ticket sales to each room as well 
try to, you know, we're not making a million dollars here ourselves, but we try our best to always compensate people when we can. We did a murder mystery for New Year's Eve. We wrote, again, we wrote that. We rented a, a mansion in Tierra Verde. Wow. A Gatsby-inspired Roaring Twenties sort of murder mystery. Um, we're supposed to do another one in September. Uh, who knows if that's going to happen. I, I'm hoping it, it might. It's going to be like an homage to like 80s slasher and summer yes. films. We rented a couple of cabins over at the KOA, and we're calling it Camp Bordier. I think we might be able to do it just because of the outdoors nature of it but we'll we'll see you take on a character and you you play the game in person we write clues we write a script we write little staged moments throughout the course of uh, i mean if it's, i'm assuming it's we haven't written it yet but i'm assuming it's gonna be similar to new year's eve where we you know staged different moments we had some characters of our own that we you know threw out there into it and otherwise people were were our guests you know they, they bought a ticket they received a character upon arrival and uh, that's who they were for the night. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. It's I, went to a, I went to a private party one time that you did something like that. Now that, you know, I'm thinking back on it, you had to kind of come in costume, person that you have a script and you kind of make your own script up as you go. But I was thinking if you did it on Zoom or something, it wouldn't matter. You know, you would have, think about things like that because I walk with a cane. But I mean, now people could watch something like that on uh, on the computer. We've been thinking about doing something like that over Zoom, just because, again, we don't know when we can get back to meeting in person anyway. And there's the other cat. <laughs> <laughs> and then I know you all are starting an imprint. You're publishing some work. Yeah, we're we're trying to. It's uh, It was one of those things where I think it just really brought everything we do full circle. You know, our whole goal has been, you know, working with Florida writers and helping them get their work out there into the world. And, you know, and it, it's kind of amazing. We've seen people come to us with nothing published and, you know, eight years later have, you know, several books out, make moves to, you know, writing fiction full time. And it's pretty cool. And obviously we're always meeting new writers and having new people kind of come into our world and fall under our fold. And so we started uh, the Florida Writers Project. And that's kind of going to be our publishing arm of things. You know, we're going to, the opportunities are going to be really very specific to Florida writers or folks who, you know, are Florida connected. Like if they lived here for a certain number of time, we're not, I mean, we're also not super nitpicky about stuff like that. So we, uh, we have a few anthologies coming out in the fall. One that we're definitely, I think you read at the South of the South the last time we hosted that event, right? Mm -hmm. Tyler. Yeah. We're, we're putting an anthology out under that name as well, kind of Florida writers writing about Florida. And we expanded it so it's not just nonfiction. It's fiction, poetry, and nonfiction. Florida writers just uh, telling Florida stories. Also, we are putting out the debut novel, uh, novel of uh, Heather Jones. Uh, she's a USF instructor and a good friend of ours and an award-winning playwright here in the area. So... It's funny because she lived up in North Carolina for a long time. So it's actually like an, a Civil War Appalachia story uh, called Tennessee Murder Ballad. So we've been working on that and just trying to figure things out because I hate fundraising and I hate asking people for money. Mm -hmm. But we're at a point where like any of the big events that we would have hosted to bring in a little bit of funding to put towards these projects are just not even, you know, we can't even do, we can't do them. Um, so we're, we're trying to figure out kind of more different ways to, to fundraise and promote and, you know, all when the stuff. When is the um, novel set to come out? Do you have a date? Yeah, it's uh, it was supposed to come out in November. So mm -hmm. that's that's our, that and the South of the South anthology are probably our priorities right now. We, uh, we were also, we put out a while back um, this Dawn of the Donald book. It's hard. Satire is hard now. Yeah. It's kind of actually, you know, reading back and, it, it all sounded so over the top and ridiculous, but it's not that far off from the, you know, from reality. Mm. Uh, so we are, we're sort of talking about putting out a second, you know, we do have an open, uh, you know, call for submissions right now for a second version of that. I think it's probably a little hard to put something like that out right now, though. Right. Um, so I think South of the South and the Heather's novel are going to be, are our, you know, main priorities. 
you all have been have made yourself such a presence. I mean, with all these different events and supporting all these other writers, it's been really necessary. I think it's done great things for the area. I appreciate that. I mean, I I think uh, word of your stuff is kind of like a little bit like playing for me. It's fun. It's creative. It's my creative work. You know, producing these weird things that uh you know get get people excited about supporting local writers at the same time. I feel like all of like the best people I know around here I met through Word Here, so it I get a lot out of it. It's very gratifying, you know. I uh, and it, we're able to help people. We're able to help get you know readers excited. We're able to help get writers feel a little bit reinvigorated about their work and find new ways to uh, you know to reach an audience who maybe otherwise wouldn't go out to a book event. Um, then cool. Then we we did our job and. Uh, you know, I think the biggest thing has been lately are these Zoom events that we've been doing because, you know, we didn't want to, you know, lose sight of our mission and what we're trying to do, even if we're not able to see each other in person. So I'm awful at technology, but I'm like, cool, all you do is click a button. Right. Excellent. So <laughs> I can handle that. Yeah, for the most part. <laughs> any, anything beyond that, I'm right. like, uh, so... Um, yeah, we've been hosting events, I'm going to say at least six days a week. There was a little while there where we were probably doing it seven days a week, um, virtual wow. events. It's been a nice way to reach people. Uh, we've done everything from like, a, we did like a, a tell us about your quarantine program. Where it is quite literally like we've asked writers to be like, to tell us about what they've been working on in quarantine, how, it, how that whole, how it's been going for them, what they've been feeling. It's funny, sometimes they turn into little like, just like very earnest conversations and like, mini therapy sessions right. you know kind of thing we do these quarantine story times with and that's evolved too originally i was imagining you know we'll just do a, a, a reading we'll get in we'll get out but it's really evolved into like you know a q a and people wanting to talk so it's kind of kind of turned into a little bit more than just like a simple reading so you know i'll have some questions our reader our listeners will have some questions uh we do these home virtual library tours where people just show us their books i think people People really like that. I call it literary voyeurism. People, re people really like snooping a little bit. I would love somebody to see my uh, bedroom. All <laughs> books. If you you're welcome to do this one weekend if you want to. <laughs> <laughs> my bug man one time told me, uh, Margie, you really need to get rid of some of these books. And I looked at him like he told me to kill one of my grandsons <laughs> or something. Really? <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. No. If you want to, if you want to do a library tour, let me know. Um, and uh, I guess I I'd get, film it. I get nervous um, when I'm almost to finish a book. If I get to the last, say, six chapters, I start searching for the next book <laughs> that I'm going to read because I want to have one ready to go. I have books that I'm reading now that uh, I never thought I'd be reading because they were kind of in the back of the stacks. I mean, it's really fascinating to me how the community has adapted and how these events have become so well attended and also just that people are really needing that space. Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty amazing. And we, uh, you know, I think we did it pretty early on, like mid-March. People want it. People want to be connected. Yeah. Um, and then I think it'll make life a little easier when we are able to go back in person. It'll make that transition easier for us, having kept that connection going the entire time. So. And then we're doing, um, we're trying to put together a few like digital reading festivals. So we're doing, you know, nerdier than now. We're doing a virtual version. Well, and it's great that, uh, it's all great. you know, you're the way you're going with the punches. People are looking for outlets and so forth. So I think that's great what, what you're doing. I appreciate that. Well, thank you for your time. Good to see nice you again. With you again. Yeah. Yeah. Same here. Thank you. And really, uh, let me know about the library tour if you want to do one down the road. Okay. Sounds fun. In the last segment, we talked to Tiffany Rosano about Wordier Than Thou. And now we are going to talk to Yuki Jackson about her poetry rap music, inspiration, the battleground, mixing poetry with martial arts, working with youth, so much good stuff in here. And she will be giving a reading of her poem and we will be talking about different performance strategies. Oh, and drag queens, how could I forget? It's about to be that time. 
So my summer, I am hard at work at my own uh, writing. I'm off this summer. So, you know, I'm teaching um, at Ringling over this past year. They don't have classes. And, you know, usually for the summer, I would have a bunch of gigs that I would do <laughs> and like summer teaching for different kids programs and things like that. But obviously right now that's not an option. So yeah, I've just been kind of taking advantage of this time to do a lot of reading a lot of writing and you know during the pandemic ironically i've been taking care of my health more in terms of like you know usually i was like on the go you know what i mean and then the quarantine sort of obviously forcing us to be stay put and so i've been like cooking more and eating more like vegetables and fruits and stuff but ironically also during this time where i've been more health conscious i've been experiencing some health issues that have surfaced I've been going to the doctors a few times over the past couple weeks and like radiology appointment the other day. And then I'm going back in a couple weeks to follow up. And so I'm also like taking the cue from my own body to just like kind of make it my job right now to take care of my body and my well-being during quote unquote normal times, like so hard to, to kind of focus on our own well-being. So that's my thing right now. <laughs> and I think you mentioned that in the piece for creative loafing. Yeah. Because I think it was talking about meditation practice. Yeah. So I do a daily practice. It's like a vocalized meditation. The phrase itself is nam myoho renge kyo. It's like a phrase that really sort of encapsulates just like the universal law. <laughs> you know, it's like the eternal law of the universe, right? Like kind of, it's like the haiku, right? Of our existence. So yeah, so I chant that in the morning and in the evening every day. And that just sort of really helps me remember who I am. Like just kind of really helps me to focus, especially through using the voice, right? Like there's something about, because I know there's like silent meditation, which I know can be helpful. But to me, there's something about speaking out because it's like a physical vibration that you can feel like when you're saying it over and over. And so that vibration is vibrating, you know, that same frequency, everything, you know, all existence, right? That's like always vibrating. So there's something about it that I feel really invigorated by and just sort of helps me to focus on my goals and what I want to accomplish every day. One of the main goals I have, you know, one is, of course, my health and well-being, but also I've been really focusing on my self-esteem. So when I'm chanting, I'm consciously also focusing on that and other things as well, more concrete, <laughs> physical things as well. But that practice has helped a lot. And then in addition to that, a lot of it has been food-based. So I've been eating more like vegetables and fruits. <laughs> I bought it like a little, like a blender, making like little green smoothies, you know, stuff like that. Something yeah. that really helped me is getting a slow cooker. So I can just put a bunch of fresh vegetables in there, put some like olive oil, balsamic, come back in a few hours and I have all of this there to eat. It's so easy to prepare. Ooh, what's been your, is there like a favorite dish or something you have to make in that? During the semester, just because things are so hectic, I would literally just buy cauliflower, Brussels sprouts, kale, carrots. I just buy whatever, any vegetable, throw it in there and then put balsamic vinegar on it. And then <laughs> I don't know, it just made it taste good. <laughs> but that way I knew that I was getting at least some vegetables every day because with the semester going on, it's so hectic. It's hard to cook for yourself sometimes. So slow cooker has definitely helped me. That's awesome. Stuff going on. Has the meditation and the eating more healthily affected your points your poetry yeah no I love that <laughs> it's all connected right <laughs> I think so like in the sense of you know poetry so interesting right so for me and I've probably for a lot of people it comes in waves in terms of so I experience my creativity in like bursts so I practice it every day you know what I mean so like regardless of whether I'm like feeling it or not, I'll write. And there'll be things throughout the day that inspire me that I'll jot down and, you know, take note of and stuff like that. I realized also my brain kind of worked maybe like a fiction writer or something. I don't know. Because okay. I, you know, not that I know what that would be, but it's like, of course, there's like individual poems that come to me, but 
largely, I think in terms of story, even if it's out of my own life, right? Like I see it as the narrative arc. I just see that plot diagram, you know, so I write poems narrative poems largely now, you know, that help to tell one, one narrative arc. <laughs> I would say with my health right now, it's so it's ebbs and flows. So right now it's sort of a stage where I am reading a lot, kind of aware of my own feelings and thoughts. So you're right. So I think with this effort to take care of myself, I've become more immediately conscious of what it is that I'm thinking or feeling at any moment and like respecting it where before when I'm like you know kind of ignoring myself in a sense it was so funny I would have these delayed reactions like for example there was like a relationship I was in before like a romantic relationship if he would like say something that like hurt my feelings or offended me or whatever didn't do something you know whatever it was right something that hurt me it would take two or three days for it to even register within myself that like that hurt my feelings you know what I mean and like I need to say something about it. So then it would be like three or four days later, I'd be like, hey, remember what you said three or four days ago? That rather, and he's like, oh, why don't you just say, you know, what is, what's this delayed reaction? And so I think now, you're right, Margie, like now that I'm more conscious of my, or just like respecting myself and conscious of myself. Yeah, it's like in that moment when I feel like, ooh, like that little red light, <laughs> that little siren, that little ticker inside is going off, even slight disrespect, you know, even if that other person didn't intend it, but just that it's something that's bothering me or I feel is sort of crossing my sense of dignity in any sense, I'm able to, in that moment, nip it in the bud. Amen. Amen. I like yeah. that. I like that because I think to be aware that maybe the person doesn't realize it. I let a, let a lot of things roll off in me, but if it's something really important to me, I'll say, are you not feeling well today? <laughs> and then they'll say, huh? And then I say, because do you realize just what you said? And you know, there's some people, I'm not going to say what sex, they're kind of thick. <laughs> <laughs> You well, know. it also makes me think about, there was a book about the difference between confrontation and conflict mm -hmm. and like confronting someone that is being disrespectful to you for your own preservation and also builds communication. And it's like, when we don't confront things, that's when conflict happens because it's then we're like so upset about 20 things. Mm. Um, so it can feel uncomfortable to call someone out, but that can help your future relationship, I think. There you go. That really has stuck with me about how there's a difference between confronting someone and actually having a conflict. Well, I noticed in your poems, which you're very passionate, that you mention religion quite a bit. Not, you know, not a lot. Yes. Uh, some poems you don't. Do you know where that comes from? Yeah, I mean, I've always been just aware of the profundity or just the fact that our spirit is all tied together just from like a young age i've always felt very spiritual basically i felt very connected to it i attribute it to my mother who it's interesting because she never forced it upon me but she would read a lot and then when you know we would go about our everyday life she would just always kind of point out certain principles and things that were connected you know it made it like made me see how everything is tied to universal law and this interconnectedness I'm talking about like how you know electricity works you know we see like a squirrel eating a nut or you know i don't know it could be anything like even right. seemingly mundane but she would always in just like this very kind of nonchalant way just kind of highlight the spiritual nature of it to me, that way of looking at things is very natural. <laughs> it doesn't seem so extraordinary to me. Yeah, um, awesome. Definitely through my mother. You know, it's based on my Buddhist practice, which I see the lens through. And then it's interesting because in terms of like, I find people usually curious of like, why do I reference Christianity a lot when I'm a practicing Buddhist? <laughs> They're like, well, it doesn't seem like it connects. Mm -hmm. But again, for me, it's through this, you know, this chanting and my Buddhist practice that because it's focused on the interconnectedness of life, it's helped me to see and also experience many things where I see it's actually all connected. 
you know, it's like human beings that have divided, right? Like what spirit is, you know? And so anyway, so I just, I see how it's all connected. And so I'm unable to even separate it on many levels. I think people try to compartmentalize things. I think spiritual things don't fit in a box. I noticed that, like she was saying, religion is a theme. Also, pop culture is a theme in a mm. lot of your work. And I noticed a drag race reference in yeah. some of your poetry. So what is it about pop culture that you're speaking to or that moves you to kind of use that as a subject? Yeah, I th- there's like two levels always, right? So there's like the subconscious level of how we're operating and then like the conscious level. So I feel like on a subconscious level... <laughs> I'm naturally moving to show, again, like the interconnectedness of all things of like these things that seem so sacred or how, you know, maybe some people have put them on this like pedestal, you know, essentially like marrying the divine and the profane. And for me, it's like not even so much marrying them. It's like they're already married. (laughs) So it's about just like showing that they're married. So I love, and to me, it also speaks to the paradox that poetry explores, or that is poetry, in that, you know, something that seems so mundane, like pop culture, and, you know, something that could even seem superficial to some people, to me, it's like, no, there's actually depth and relevance and connection to spirituality. So for me, when I watch RuPaul's Drag Race, you know, when I- We watched that together before, too. (laughs) It, oh my god, that's awesome! Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm obsessed. I'm like I'm I don't know if I'm we categorize as a super fan or whatever, but I just it's like yeah, I, I so love. So who's your favorite queen then? I guess who first comes to mind? I love Raja. Same. Oh, I love <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I just Great love. choice. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's funny from- that you both have the same. Uh- one of the tops, Favorites. for sure. And I think as a woman and as a as a Black woman, as a mixed, you know, Asian woman, you know, it, there's like something about drag queens and that culture that is so empowering, you know, to anybody who's ever felt like disempowered or slighted or, you know, in any way or marginalized. It's like, you know, and this, to me, the fact that it's men you know, men who are celebrating and reveling in femininity is so revolutionary and so powerful. So I just really attach, you know, to that that whole canon. So can you describe the battleground, kind of what it is and how long you've worked with it? Yeah, so the battleground is something that started the idea started back in 2017. And so um, I was working uh, part time at the a public library in that neighborhood called Sulphur Springs. I don't live in that neighborhood, but I was just assigned to work there. And immediately I was really captivated <laughs> by the neighborhood because even though it's a, you know, a rough neighborhood in the sense of um, there's a high poverty rate, there's a high crime rate. I don't know, there's just like something really like magical about that area with there's like this this mysterious tower that's there and this park and these landmarks and this theater. I don't know, it's it's just like super cool, you know. So anyways, so I was just working part-time at that library while I was going to grad school and then, you know, became very attached to the children. Ironically, I didn't like children before I started working at this library, which is so Wow. Yeah, I did not like kids. I was not a kid. Like, if somebody showed me their kid, I'm like, okay, like, it's a small human. Like, you know, I was just never like, goo goo gaga. Like, I just developed this very intense love for these children, which was strange for me, because again, like I said, I don't like kids. I think we have a connection. You know, I think there's just some people, of course, I respect every person but I just you know there's just certain people that you are very very strongly connected to more than others right off the bat that was my experience with the children and then one day actually over a course of five days in April of 2017 there were three gun shootings right outside our library each time we had a lockdown and each time the person who was shooting and the people getting shot at were boys under the age of 14 Wow. Um, Yeah. You know, during actually the first lockdown, (laughs) yeah, I just had this experience where in my mind, I was planning 
to have a youth program. You know, it was just like, as it was all happening in my head, it was like, you know, you need to start a youth program, name it the battleground. You need to have martial arts. You need to have poetry. It was just all very clear. And immediately after the lockdown stopped, I, I was like, I have no idea what I'm doing, <laughs> but I'm going to do it. I have to do this. And I went online, started researching, you know, what to do and started asking for help from advice from different people in the community who already, you know, did programs and whatnot. So yeah, that was the inception, you know, of it. And how has it changed since 2017? Yeah, I mean, in 2017, we weren't fully going. So it was, it's been going in phases. So first we had like community support and I was starting to work on the poetry part with some of the kids, but then we didn't find the right martial artist until 2018. And he came and, you know, he's perfect for it. So yeah, so we've been in full operation since September of 2018. So what is that, a year and a half or so? Um, when we we're running, yeah, we had almost 200 kids that have at least come through the program, you know, not regular, all of them, but there's a core group who are regular. So I would say the program has sort of evolved as my own revolution, as I re- evolve as a teacher. <laughs> so it's honestly, I think with a lot of teaching in general, or any, you know, it's, it's kind of this experiment, you know, where it's like, literally, I didn't know anything what I'm doing, <laughs> in a sense, I just cared, right? I just cared, I wanted to do something. So in the beginning, I'm just trying, <laughs> you know, just different lesson plans and some of the, you know, some of them didn't work and whatnot. So I just kept trying different ideas until eventually I just always take note, you know, and I'm, I'm just paying attention to the reaction of the kids. And so when, and the kids are very honest. So they're like, this is boring or, you know, like, what are you doing? You know? So I'm like, all right, thanks. Like that helps me. <laughs> yeah. What's something so I, they've really responded well to? They respond well to the poetry pizza party. That's mm-hmm. a big hit, of course. Anything with food, right? Yes. So, <laughs> yeah, in the beginning, I didn't have snacks. And then I learned, oh, I need to have snacks. So for the weekly sessions, we have like, you know, popcorn and some cookies and, you know, stuff like that. And then, um, yeah, once a month, I started having a poetry pizza party which is basically, you know, gathering kids to to create these like poetry stations. And then so there's like a theme every month. And then there'll be like one little station where they, you know, can play on the vintage typewriter. And then they type certain words that are, you know, poetic words that are related to the theme or another one where they, you know, write a poem, you know, or another one where they do an arts and crafts on which they can paste their poem you know anyway so it's all kind of interconnected and based on the theme for that month that's been that sounds fun (laughs) yeah it's it's fun and they get to decorate and um, then how does the martial arts come into play then yeah so for the weekly sessions we do it for two hours so garrett who is the martial arts teacher he will teach for about you know the first 45 minutes at the end of it, he leads them, you know, he'll do like a silent meditation. And then um, that sort of then shifts them, you know, into like a poetry mode. And then we have like a little break and then we do the poetry session. So, you know, the whole idea um, of even why, you know, kind of the idea of martial arts and poetry kind of came together for me was that I see them as very similar in, in a way, where one is where, you know, you're kind of mentally being and emotionally, right? Like being able to learn how to express yourself in a constructive way, um, release, <laughs> you know, a lot that you may be holding emotionally or mentally. And then the martial arts part, you know, similar, right? Where it's like kind of expressing yourself physically in a, you know, kind of moving your body in like an artistic and disciplined way. So yeah, that's where those two kind of- I can see where the, uh, the two would work together. You know, the martial arts is poetry in motion. So I could see where the two would help you grow in both categories. Have you got some young people that have really blossomed in both uh, arts? I would say for the poetry. So there was uh, one student who actually initially for the poetry, there was just one student who came consistently for the first couple months of doing it he he's a lion <laughs> you know and it was so interesting wow. i mean he's yeah like he's yeah he's he's this incredible young man 
super bright, such a leader. And so he's amazing. So he's gone on to, he's like, I don't know, he's like doing work with like the mayor's office and like their, you know, urban league, you know, all kinds, like he's just like very active. But I guess it's interesting because I guess I don't really, okay, because the way I view these kids, it's it was almost like, I'm putting this here, right? Like this tool here, but it's for kids who want to use it. And the thing is, the nature of this program, it's not a type of, this is not the kind of neighborhood in program, the situation is not where like the parents are super involved, right? Like a lot of these kids are on their own. They're very independent. It was like these, the kids who come to the battleground are coming on their own. And so they are kids who have initiative anyway, you know what I mean? And so I just see it as I'm serving them (laughs) who are like already capable. So I feel that the program in itself is helping to like nurture that ability and that tendency and helping them channel their energy. To me, their greatness or their capability is something that was already like inherent. So yeah, so, you know, definitely in kids like, you know, that young man I mentioned um, in terms of poetry, and then there's a whole group of them who've consistently come in poetry. They, what's so funny, they, I was like, what's going on? Because then I'll hear it from other people like, oh, did you hear like so-and-so is like speaking at like the school board? This, I'm like, what? Like, and I'm asking like, you need to, you're t- talking at the school board meeting? And he's like, oh yeah, you know, it's a bit. There's like a group of them who've been consistently participating in the poetry and they have enrolled themselves in like this like young businessman's club and they're like learning how to like continue to utilize you know these like kind of community resources to like develop themselves so yeah there's some of the um, little boys who've been doing martial arts who a, a big part of the martial arts interestingly enough it's like them really learning how to master their discipline their patience and like a lot of them with their emotion you know, so I see that in terms of the martial arts. It must be gratifying for you. And it, it sounds like it's a, even a, a learning experience for you. Yeah, definitely. You're the teacher that's being taught. <laughs> 100, 100%. Oh, my gosh. And it is exciting working with uh, kids or young people when they get excited and you yeah. see a change in them. And I wanted to ask you, so you work at Ringling now. And so which area of Florida do you live in? And how, what has kind of been like your path to Florida? Yeah, so I live, I live in Clearwater. Oh, yeah. Largo over here. I didn't know you were that close. Oh my gosh. Yeah, no, I didn't know. <laughs> well, yeah, I live, I was going to give you my address. I was like, I live at, yeah, I live, um, I live kind of right off of where the Courtney Campbell Bridge ends. I love the downtown Clearwater Library. Have you been in there? Uh, I've been there once. You have that whole view of the water. It's so pretty. Oh, yeah. It's gorgeous. So you live down in Clearwater. Yeah, I live in Clearwater, but was driving, you know, working in Sarasota at Ringling. And then I would, you know, and then the Battleground program, it's in Sulphur Springs. It's in Tampa, Sulphur Springs. So driving quite a lot. (laughs) And how long have you lived in Florida? I have lived here on and off Ooh, okay. so I lived initially in Jacksonville. Um, we moved there when I was about 12. And then, you know, we lived there for about a year. Also at another point in my earlier childhood. So, you know, my dad was in the military and the Navy. So we were like moving around a lot. But yeah, we've been in Florida permanently since I was 12. And I lived in Jacksonville until my early 20s. And then the way I came to Tampa was through a, um, at the time, it was a romantic relationship. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, all story, but yeah, we we were long distance actually. He lived here, and then I lived in Jacksonville. But then we, you know, we had met in person, and then we're doing a long distance thing. And then, and then one day I came to visit him, and my car broke down, like totally died. And then I was just like, you know what? I guess that means I'm here. (laughs) So yeah, fine. Yeah. That You're a happening. great storyteller. <laughs> I've, I've never been so quiet. <laughs> Your voice changes every now and then when you really get excited, too. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love that. 
So in the Creative Loafing article that was recently published, you mentioned that you finished your first full-length collection. Can you talk to us a little bit about those poems? Yeah, so it's called Record. (laughs) Um, That's the name of the collection. And it's sort of, I guess, a nod also because I'm a really big hip-hop fan. I feel like I'm a poet because I can't be a rap. Like, I, I can't rap. I don't sound like a rapper. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's like, how I feel because I want to be a rock star, but I can't sing. So Yeah, okay. I feel, yeah. <laughs> so we're like, oh, wait, we'll, we'll write. Um, it, you know, so and kind of have that attitude, right? Like in, mm-hmm. in our, in our writing. So yeah. So that's how I feel about it. So I was like, I can't have a record or album. So I'm, I'm going to like call my book a oh, record. I love that. <laughs> but also, you know, so it has other meanings too. So it's also the idea of the shape of a circle <laughs> is mm-hmm. also what was prevalent to me. And that's sort of also how this collection goes. So once you get to the last poem in this collection, the last line of it leads into the first line of the first poem in the collection. So it's wow. meant, yeah. And you know what's, you know, I mean, it's, it's one of those things where it's like, I saw that after I finished, I was like, oh, oh. like that's cool. Yeah, oh. yeah, yeah. You know, but so it's cyclical. The theme, it's basically most of it's exploring a relationship I had a few years ago. Um, you know, sort of this uh, experience that I had with like really coming to awaken to my past lives and my how it ties into my current life. And, you know, it has the, the themes of me really living as like this uh, divine feminine, <laughs> you know, historically, right, known as like divine feminine figure. It was like Mary was also the wife of the Buddha, wife of Jesus, you know, and just like really tying, awakening to the fact that all of those figures are tied in through my life. That's told through a series of interactions I've had with that guy. I have some poems where I talk about then my experience with the kids in Sulphur Springs. And then the middle section, I, you know, I'm talking about my experience where I, you know, me and the guy break, you know, I'm heartbroken, you know, he breaks my heart. And then I'm from, you know, really lack of valuing my life. I uh, had come very close to ending my own life through that heartbreak. And I ended up Baker acting myself um, a few years ago. And so the middle section is where it, it, there's like a series of about like maybe 15 to 20 poems, like short poems where it's just about those 72 hours of me being in the Baker Act facility, because that was a very, very interesting experience. But it was also like this, like super profound and beautiful experience, you know, which it doesn't seem on the surface, right? But it, um, Nietzsche and Daishonin, he says how hell, depending on your state of life, hell can be the land of tranquil light. And so that's what I experienced in that Baker Act facility, where it's like on the surface, it looks like all of us, you know, all of us are obviously there because we're suffering, you know, except for the staff, even though some of the staff too were like struggling with the same things we were, which was interesting, right? Because they're like, I don't know, anyway. But yeah, so on the surface, it just looked like a hell, but it was this really, really enlightened experience that I had in there and so I talk about that and then you know towards the end I'm you know just kind of like ending it with like talking about more of where I'm at now in terms of like coming from a place of a higher sense of self and um, you know just kind of moving forward with like um, new relationships and new idea of what it means to be a person (laughs) you know I bet your family is proud of you I think so. I think. <laughs> you're, you're, Getting emotional. You're, you're just uh, amazing. You know, you're smart. You're willing. You got a heart full of love, and you're willing to change. As a mother, I would be very, very proud of you. Oh, thank you. I appreciate you saying that. Yeah, it's it's hard because, especially as a writer, because now, especially with me kind of coming to terms with some things from my childhood, I'm like you know, I'm a writer, right? So I like, I'm writing about it. (laughs) And I have a feeling I'm going to get even more explicit about it in, you know, future um, works that I'm going to hopefully be able to share publicly. (laughs) You know, so I also, I'm also nervous, right? Because it's like, as much as I have this tremendous gratitude for my family, 
you know, for like so many things, like even you know, the good, bad and the ugly, you know, I'm, I'm grateful for all of it. Right. Cause it, it's enabled me to experience what I needed to, but at the same time, I also, <laughs> you know, I get nervous too, you know, like what, yeah, they know I'm going to put it all in there. It's kind of, I'm kind of in a weird place with my family right now. So you, you saying that like really, really helps me to remember that like what's ultimately, you know, kind of at play. You should never hide who you really are. Thank you. Do you have any poems that you might want to read for us or a poem from your new collection? Yeah, I can pull something up. Let's see. You kind of sound like Taylor Swift. <laughs> oh, like like a first person. You know, she sings, she sings about, about her, her tears on the guitar. And so you kind of sound like a I meant that in a good way. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm just, I'm just so tickled. I just never dreamed that. I would Taylor be... Swift is a good writer. I yeah, say what you yeah. want about her as a singer; she can write a song. And she's evolved a lot. Okay, so I'm gonna read this one called "So Fly." It's a little bit of a longer poem, but you know, it sort of ties in most of the themes <laughs> that are, you know, in the collection. So, um, and what we we're talking about. So. All right, so, so fly. I can hear my roommate's birds get aggressive with their bell. I ring mine three times and sing a mantra to free myself. My feet no longer laced up. When I baker acted myself, they made me unlace my sneakers so I wouldn't hang myself. The ties are removed so I'm free to move forward. As I pray, I think about the phrase, you're preaching to the choir. Does this mean we consider those who sing to already possess spiritual knowledge? In the chapel is a cappella, a choir, a body of singers who perform led by a conductor, the central African Republic Akapigami's vocal musical tradition mastered by all community members. The songs perpetuate essential knowledge. Like my friend, the soprano who studies music so she can heal others. And I think about how we awaken to bird sounds. Nietzsche writes, this is what is meant by Buddha. When a caged bird sings, birds flying in the sky are thereby summoned. Sensei's last lines in the new human revolution. In his mind's eye, he had an uplifting vision. Majestic young eagles bathed in the dawning light of the third millennium before the musical performance on the top floor. I noticed the two-headed eagle pattern surrounding the attic. I tell Shael it reminds me of Nichiren's instruction to a couple. The Buddha preaches on Eagle Peak before the ceremony in the air. He is my favorite MC, so I place his photo next to my favorite poem about birds being men and men being birds. In his rap video, he's on top of a parking garage, palms spread wide, facing up. He tells me he did poetry because he wanted to take a flight. In today's Hey Queen, the queen known for being high, talks about the time she went skydiving. McGovern says to her, I appreciate an intersectional jump. Thank you very much for representing femininity where it lives, even if it's in the sky, hurtling to earth. Yes, thank you. <laughs> wow. Wow. One of the reasons I have to say that I wanted to interview you and have you on besides all the great work that you're doing is because of the way you perform your poems. And to me, that's something I really look for in a poet and that I really respond to and respect. I think you're such a good reader. Oh, thank yes, you. you are. Thank you so much. Yeah. You know, I, um, yeah, it's something that, do you practice like performing and stuff? Yeah. You, okay. I need to do that more, I think. But yeah, because I, I really admire poets who are able to memorize their poems too, because I, I, I haven't gotten to that point. Do you have any tips as far as like performance? I mean, not for you. You're already good. Oh. <laughs> I think for me, I guess, but like on a, I guess a tip that I, what I really respond to is a poet who figures out what their style is and then owns that. 
Like it doesn't all have to be loud or whatever, but it can be weird and quirky, but as long as they're owning the space and the time, because sometimes I'll see poets that are kind of like reluctant to be up in front of people and it doesn't seem like it's respectful to the work. Mm. Um, so whatever you're going to do, just own it. That's how I feel. Because for me, there's like, I don't love my voice. I don't love how I sound, but I know that if I'm going to be giving a reading, then I have to make it worth people to be in that, that moment with me. Mm, that's good. On a lighter note, <laughs> I love karaoke. Oh. <laughs> oh my that's and I own a song. <laughs> I I sing it for a while and then I start making it mine. And um yes. and, and then I I don't apologize for it. I just sing it like I feel it. And that sounds like that's what you do. Something that just reminds me, because definitely she and I have sing karaoke together, but something that reminds me of is that back in the day, I would do this thing before a reading where I would, I'd be like, I'm going to sing a little song for you guys before I start. And then I would sing I Dreamed a Dream, oh. um, but only like the first like two sentences and be like, oh, I forgot the rest. I don't know. It was so corny, but it just <laughs> always made people like crack up. And mm-hmm. after that, it was like, okay, we're going to have some fun. Oh, I love that. Yeah, no, like music and songs have such an ability to like open people's hearts. So yeah, I love that. And like catching people off guard at the beginning of a reading, I think is always a good tactic. That is, that's, that's very ninja of you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we'll all have to go out karaoke. Oh my God. That would be, do you like karaoke? After the virus is taken care of. Do you I, like karaoke? I, I used to do karaoke, you know, not regularly, but I, you know, I would do it at like parties and stuff when I was younger, but I haven't done it in years, but you know, I'm, I'm open to it. Well, that sure. would be so much fun. We should definitely do that. <laughs> it is. It is a lot of fun. Yeah. With our, with our masks. Karaoke. Right. <laughs> well, before we kind of sign off, is there anything that, you know, you would like to say or that you know you have coming out that you want to kind of let people know about or any final words no i'm just like you know super grateful to be able to talk with you guys (laughs) like you know especially in this um i mean just to like have opportunity to like chat period you know but especially in the time where you're kind of very isolated you know i just love yeah being able to like mix with some genuine people so I, I'm just grateful for this conversation. And, you know, as far as my work, right now I'm in a stage where I'm incubating and, you know, coming up with things. So um, hopefully, you know, later this year, there'll be more things coming out. Oh, I'm writing another article for Creative Loafing. So, mm-hmm. and that's going to be um, in the Poets Notebook section. And um, oh, that's the Peter Mankey kind of section? Or yes. Previously? Yes, previously. Yep. So, yeah. That's so- awesome. Well, that's great. Congrats on that. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Is there anything else you'd like to kind of say? No, I'm just kind of speechless, (laughs) which I don't get to that point hardly ever. But it's been a real delight and education talking to you. And I have a uh, kind of a a total different way of looking at poetry now, too. I'm from the school that roses are red, violets are blue. But that's not the way poetry is anymore. My mother wrote a lot of poems. And just mm-hmm. would write one when she would send a greeting card to somebody for their birthday or whatever. You know, poetry has really evolved. But I think it's a great way to express yourself. Mm-hmm. It's honest. And yeah. uh, it's great for your, your youth that you're working with to be able to have a safe way to express themselves. And they don't have to make it rhyme. They can just. She was, like had a hard time giving getting over how none of my poems rhyme as much anymore. Right. <laughs> yeah, mine don't either. Yes. So. I've had about ten or twelve years to realize it's not roses are red and violets are blue anymore. You know. I do like to stick a rhyme in there uh, just to like surprise people, though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> old to his grandmother. <laughs> Well, thank you for taking the time to yeah. speak with us. It's been such a delight. This is fun. Thank you, guys. So, yeah, we'll go karaoke soon. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. This is our outro. <laughs> that is our show. And it was a great one. I enjoyed it. Don't let me forget that when we go to karaoke, I want to sing Jolene by Dolly Parton. I just feel like really drawn to that song in this moment of time. That's a pretty good song to be drawn to. It's a hard song. It's very high and very fast. Yeah. But you're very fast. I can sing it, but it's hard and I don't sing it well. Okay, so... Come back to the pod next time. We'll have a great chat for you. Subscribe. Subscribe to our newsletter. Email us, afloridathing at gmail.com. Tweet us. Pigeon mail us. Snail mail us. Turkey mail us. All the animal mail. Or, you know, U.S. mail. (laughs) Who does that anymore? I do. I send greeting cards regularly all the time. She does. Greeting cards, Christmas cards. She will send Christmas cards to someone for a decade, even if they're not sending them back. That's not the purpose of sending cards. So send us a card. We might send you one. That would be cute. Please send us a card. All right. We got to wrap this up. I have a very good looking mailman. (laughs) We got to wrap this up. Have a great day. And we hope there's some sunshine in your life. Bye. Bye. Have you met? Have you seen David yet?